Hi, I'm Paul Comfort, and this is a great edition of Transit Unplugged. Today, we kick off the first of our uh, two-part series, an interview with Paul Wiedefeld, CEO and General Manager of WMATA, the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority in Washington, D.C., that serves Maryland, D.C., and Northern Virginia, uh, and, of course, the federal government, uh, 40% of the passengers, the million passengers a day on the bus and rail system there, go to uh, jobs with the federal government. So they kind of uh, carry the nation, so to speak. And Paul's been on the job about two years now and has one of the toughest jobs in Washington because it impacts so many people. On this two-part episode, the first part, we're going to focus on his background and career, which includes an interesting stint uh, in aviation. And he talks about how some of the lessons he learned as general manager, CEO of BWI Airport in Baltimore, translated into decisions he made uh, for the transit system in Washington, D.C. And we also talk about the current projects he's been on and kind of the uh, state of good repair efforts that have been undergoing there at WMATA for the last couple of years. And then in part two of the episode, uh, which will be on a second complete separate episode, we'll talk to Paul about the uh, financing and how they have no dedicated funding source, the governance uh, some of the new innovations they're doing in paratransit and on fixed route, as well as um, some new big projects they're working on the Purple Line and the Silver Line. That'll be on uh, episode number two of this two-part series. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode of Transit Unplugged with Paul Wiedefeld. What does it mean to be a successful public transit agency? What are you doing to lead the way? It's time to learn from the top transit professionals in North America. This is Transit Unplugged with your host, Paul Comfort. I'm Paul Comfort, your host of Transit Unplugged. Great to have you with us today. And today we're with one of the most famous names in transit, Paul Wiedefeld, the chief executive officer. And what's your, is your are you a general manager? General manager. General manager. Uh, of the Washington Metropolitan Area Transit Authority, or WMATA. Paul, great to have you with us. Nice to see you again, Paul. Yeah. Paul and I are old friends. We've worked together in previous capacities, which I'm sure will come up during the show. But uh, I had I was thinking about how to start this episode, and I thought, so there's three big things in Washington, D.C., right? There's the federal government, there's the Washington Redskins, and there's WMATA. <laughs> and, would it. you agree with that? That is it. In <laughs> fact, it's only the Redskins and us. <laughs> <laughs> For most, most people, they, they block that other stuff. Out. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I would say Paul probably, I'd like to say this in the past, but I'm not kidding. I think he has basically the hardest job in Washington uh, because actually out of those three things, WMATA actually has more of an impact on the day-to-day -day lives of the people in this region probably than the other two do combined. Um, so Because certainly the Redskins, who are my team as well, haven't had much of an impact. <laughs> I got $20 tickets to the uh, – to their last game of the season on the club level. That's how go. the tickets were going, you know. <laughs> so, Paul, great to have you with us again. And uh, just tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what's – we normally like to start with talking about your career. Sure. So you and I, you had some background in Maryland. But tell us about your career and how you ended up being CEO of the fourth largest transit system in America. Sure. Uh, my background is I have a, a planning background, primarily not engineering. And then uh, <clears throat> started off with Maryland Department of Transportation. Um, actually went to Rutgers and then did some work up in New Jersey, but then came to Maryland and ran their capital budget, basically, okay. capital budgeting program, and it's a very large budget. Um, and then from there, went to the private sector and worked for Parsons Brinker Hall for a number of years, did a lot of uh, business development and, and project, um, you know, managed large projects. And then after that, um, got a call one day and got uh, seen if I had any interest in running BWI Airport. 
So I went to BWI Airport and worked there for a number of years. How um, long were you there at BWI? I was there actually twice. That's what and, I thought. In yeah. total, ten years. Wow. So we did. You know, basically, we took that airport from really the third rank airport in the in the Baltimore Washington region to make it the number one. Yeah. So Wasn't it friendship? Surpassed. Was it friendship when you took over? No, no I'm not okay. that old. I'm old. <laughs> I'm not that old. No, it was it was um, it was BWI. But basically, we you know basically I got there right after. In fact, I got there right after 9/11. And, oh uh, wow. We were the first TSA uh, checkpoint. Really, the country, and that was in March okay. 2002, and I started that week that we opened that. But then we, right from there, as you can imagine, where the where that industry was at that time. Yeah. But then we just took off. Um, we built a huge Southwest terminal there and did a number of other major construction. Um, so anyway, left was there, and then went back to PB um, for a little bit, and then ran their aviation practice, and then got a call and, and asked if I would go to the MTA in Baltimore, the, you know, where where you were. And I uh, hope I left it in fairly good hands for yeah. you when I was there. But um, there were some people in between. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. But anyway, no. So I did that. Well, every, about, I, I mean, I've told you this before, but everybody loved you. The people that were that no, still we, worked there when I got they there were a good team. had fond memories team. of you. Yeah. So anyway, I was there about three years. Um, and then... Uh, well, you beat the average. That's right. Because there's been right. 10 in the last 20 years. Typical so. <laughs> transit, right. But anyway, I was ready to go back to the private sector for the third time. when That's when I went back to the airport again. Okay. Um, so that was there. Who asked you to go back there? Um, was it Jim sec- Smith? No. Well, it was um, Secretary John Picari. Oh, Picari. Oh, I love remember. him. And he was yeah. in USDOT right. deputy sector. He's brilliant, um, man. Yeah, no, great, great guy. And, um, and we've always, I mean, we have a, you know, obviously we have a personal relationship, but it's always just been a professional relationship. Yeah. So I've known yeah. him through, through the decades. Anyway, so that did that. And then um, um, there was a change of, of politics in the, in, the, in the state of Maryland. I heard and that. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that happens. And then uh, so... They wanted to make a change at the airport, and then uh, this job was open, and a number of people suggested I apply for this, and I did that, and then so been here just over two years. So let me ask you, uh, why would you want to come? <laughs> why would you yeah. want to come to what was then? It's not now, but right, what was right. then a very troubled agency. Um, obviously, I mean, I grew up in this area, in the Baltimore, Washington area, and so I have, you know, the memories I have of Metro when I thought of Metro always yeah. was, you know, when you brought someone from out of town to the, to, to Washington, you took them to the, the museums, the mall and the Metro. That's right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and it, you rode the Metro too. Then. Yeah. And it was yeah. just, but it was part of the adventure. That's right. You know, it was literally part of the adventure. You're right. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's my memory of, of Metro growing up and, you know, going through young adulthood and then to see what had happened over the last 10, 15 years to this, both the system, the agency, its reputation, all that was sort of partially what, what drove it um, because I'm committed to this region, I'm committed to, to public transit. So that was probably the biggest thing. Um, I, you know, I was very fortunate, very fortunate. I have lots of options career-wise. But for this one, to do that, have that opportunity to do that uh, was just so unique. Yeah. And, um, and there were some personal things. I mean, it was nice to be able to stay close to right. home and not have to, you know, do the, the, the you know, uh, you know, seat 4A all the right. time, every other yeah, week, exactly. yeah. consulting thing. So anyway, so it was a combination of personal and professional. But really what drove it was just, you know, just, again, the recognition of what this thing was and how it had slipped and can we get it back there. And and really we, I mean, there's nothing I can do. It's got to yeah. be a, you yeah. know, a huge effort to get us there. So that's, that's what drove okay. us back here. So uh, before we get into all the professional yeah. things, personally, how has it been for you the last couple of years here? I mean, you know. It, um, <clears throat> Paul, it's the greatest job I've ever had. Really? It is the greatest job That's I've ever great. had. Um, it's the hardest job I've ever had yeah. by far. But in terms of when you see progress, when you see people develop, when you see the um, 
our credibility. We had lost our credibility in the community, mm-hmm. both in the public and in, in the elected officials. And to get that back, now we're not there. We got a long, believe me, we have a long, long way to go. But to even get us moving in that direction, particularly, I'm sure you're going to get into some of the issues we're dealing with finance. When I came in, there was no way I could have ever brought up. Let's talk about fund funding issues here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> People would just look at me like, "Are you, you know, right. what plan are you from?" You know. So we had to rebuild the credibility that you know we were managing the thing correctly, that we had their interests at heart, the customer. And the financial, you know, the financial people that are funding us, and that—that's what was driving our decisions. So once we got beyond that, then we could start to have that dialogue. So that's you've earned um, uh, kind of the credibility to do that. I think, yeah, the yeah. agency has, has, you know, and, and and in my world, I've got to do it at you know four different levels. I've got to do it in, in the district. I got to do it in the Commonwealth of Virginia. I got to do it in the state of Maryland. That's true. And I got to do it in, up on Capitol Hill and, and with the administration. Wow. So that's just the nature of our our environment here. So when you walked in two years ago. What did you walk into? What was the situation when you got here two years ago? Um, probably what a lot of other transit a- agencies that have gone through you know similar tough times. Um, you had an organization that was silo based, mm-hmm. um, and communication was terrible, um, and accountability was not there. Everyone was protecting their own particular interests and not accountability to the agency or to our mission. Um, so that was a large part of it. Um, then, like other transit agencies, uh, particularly heavy, heavily unionized transit agencies, a very discipline-based uh, uh, structure that, again, just doesn't get you to your mission. It gets you to, you know, a discipline-based attitude and, and approach to things. <clears throat> so all those things. And then, again, as I mentioned, the, the, the lack of credibility in the public and the, in the media. And we have, you know, tremendous media here that uh, I have, uh, I think, last count, four beat reporters in the post, you know, that really? that's what they do. Yeah. Um, and so, we, you know, we get a lot of attention. Again, it gets back to this Redskins Metro thing is yeah. something that everyone in the region can relate to. Um, and that's just the reality of it. So anyway, that was the whole mix. Um, Plus you had had some, uh, wasn't there, when you got here, they had just had an incident on the something. Yeah, a year Smoke before the, we had a smoke before we had yeah. a, a tragedy where one of our customers passed away. Right. So we were again all of that was was yeah, leading into our lack of credibility. But also we had not our safety culture was had slipped tremendously. Um, so we started a, a whole new way of thinking about that, which is basically literally how to get every one of our managers. We have about thirteen thousand people here. About eighteen hundred of them are, are management non rep uh, employees. Literally, we had to get together in, in a very large uh, venue hmm. and had to say, look, you know, what we're about is is safety and safety trump service. So, um, you know, as as you're aware of in this business, generally, it's, you know, it's, it's make the line. It's you know, like, right. get the right. service out there, right. no matter what. Mm-hmm. Well, we said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to be safe. Which is a really and change. We'll, and it is. Yeah. And, it's, and that's is something that built up over time. And I felt it at MTA, the same pressures. Yeah. Um, and. And it's not that people are that they're doing it because they they know they've got customers out there waiting for them. Right. <laughs> you know, they're dependent right. upon them. So they're trying to do that. And obviously they understand the political pressures and things like that. But at the end of the day, that's really what they're trying to do. They're trying yeah. to serve the customer. But you can't do that at the risk of, of their safety. So that's where you had to change all that. So that's sort of the, the lay of that's the what you walked into. So I, I got to tell you, seriously, from a from a third person perspective, I think that what you did by changing the culture here at WMATA really has led the way for the whole transit industry in America to change that viewpoint to safety first. I remember um, when you and I both sh- shut down for um, which, which the winter Jonas, storm. Oh, yeah. yeah, the winter storm. It's the yeah. first time I think yeah. 
Wamad had ever done it, right. shut down completely, and we did it. I followed your lead. Right. We talked right. over the phone right. at, at MTA in Baltimore, and then Philly and New York followed us. Right. Right. And right before that, Boston had had a terrible right. situation with the storm, which made everybody think, hey, maybe maybe we need to change our approach. <laughs> and uh, and that, know, Paul, I learned that uh, or got to that way of thinking at the airport. Okay. Aviation, as you can oh, imagine, yeah. you know, the importance of safety at, at an airport. But even then, when, when I was there, we had, we had back-to-back storms one year, major storms, 20, 24 inches. And I went to Southwest Airlines. And historically, if you think about airports, 15 years ago, when there were storms coming, we literally had cots, thousands of cots, because people would come, the planes would be delayed and yeah. were canceled, and they'd sleep in the terminal. And I, I went to the leadership at Southwest. I said, guys, now we can do that again. <laughs> or maybe we just pull down service. You let me get out there. We can get this thing cleared so much quicker and cleaner Rather than working around all your stranded aircraft yeah. all over the place, just pull down the service, let me get it out, and I'll guarantee you by some time that we'll reopen. And then everyone can stay at home. Right, and not <laughs> in your airport. They can on their computers, yeah. and then they can come in the next day. And literally, we went from thousands of people in the terminal. We'd have like a half a dozen. Wow. And, you know, or dozen. You know, that's yeah. what we did. And then the, the whole business, if you look at major storms now, that's what they do because – and from a business perspective, it makes a ton of sense for them. Yes. Because, you know, their most valuable asset is that aircraft. And if it's locked in somewhere in snow and stuff, it's, you know, it doesn't make money. So they were better off just putting them somewhere else and bringing them in. So that was sort of the same mentality that when, when we shut down, you and I, it was the same thing. Now, I can try to run these trains. I can put these, you know, bus operator uppers, operators out there in two foot of snow trying to move a 40 foot. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. And what I found was, I'm sure you found it up there. And I was here, we, I had been, what, two months here, right. whatever it was. And, and you it was were just, a bold you were move. New, you were pretty new, too. Yeah, it was. And yeah. I remember them, them the, the biggest thing I got back was from the um, internal, our, our yes. our bus operators. Yep. And they were like, finally, someone gets it. Yep. They don't understand. They just think we can just magically get to, get to work. We can move these buses around. There's no way. Right. You know, and you're trying to serve people that can't even get, they're standing out in the street. It's just it, tremendously, it's unsafe for everybody. Yeah. And so they, that probably got me more credibility internally, internally than yeah. externally. Um, but then, as, as you know, in March, we had to shut down the system for a whole day because yes. of a safety issue. Yeah. And then obviously that got you know, a whole, whole other level of attention. Yeah. Well, well, let's talk about that then. So we talked about changing kind of a cultural, uh, traditional viewpoint in transit, which is service comes first. And so you made some, you made a cultural change, which said no safety comes first. And then you demonstrated it by shutting down for a storm when you were only here two months. And then a couple months later, what'd you do? Shut down the entire system. We had a situation on a Monday morning at 5 a.m. right before we opened, with a uh, a, uh, a cable that literally caught fire, uh, power, you know, a electrical cable in the third rail, a jumper cable, and um, so basically it was it was. Um, Fairly typical day because, you, you know, this this when things happen in the system, what do yeah. you do? You try to get the thing back up and run as quick as you can. This is right before rush hour. Um, it's a, one of our busy, busiest transfer points. So that's what we're doing. So the whole focus was on that um, from the operations side. My focus was was not on that. <laughs> My focus is on explain to me what happened and where is this risk else? Where else in the system is this risk? Mm-hmm. So that was my focus. So the operations people are doing what they do. The police are doing what they do. The you know, stations, all those, you know, we got all these resources. We're, we're providing, um, you know, shuttle buses and all that stuff. That's all going on in the background that morning and into that day. My head the whole time was like, well, where am I exposed to this same thing happening somewhere else? 
So it got to the point where, um, but I had to let people do what they did too on the operations side. We had to get ready for the evening rush. Yes. And again, service is driving most right. of the decision. My head is more on the, you know, are we safe? So it got to the point where I said, okay, guys, I said, get through the rush hour. Um, let's, let's regroup around nine o'clock that night. I actually um, went home, had dinner with my wife. Um, because I needed in the back of my head already was like, I do not feel comfortable. And unless they convince me <laughs> that this thing is safe, I'm going to shut it down. So that had already creeped into my head. Okay. And I hadn't said anything to anybody. Yeah. And so I, I went home and basically I was really didn't home to speak to my wife yeah. about it. And, 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 you know, I bounced it back and forth with her a little bit. Um, and then at the end of the dinner, I said to her, I said, well, I, you know, I got to get back to, to the office. I said, but. Tomorrow's either going to be my shortest day on the job or my longest. <laughs> That's <laughs> because, great, man. Because uh, if I go this way, yeah. you know, either I'm going to be fired <laughs> yeah. or, or we're going to keep going like crazy. So anyway, we got back at 9 o'clock, and we, I just couldn't get there. But they were – obviously, they were saying, well, you can't do it, and, you know, all the different reasons why this doesn't make sense. And a lot of it was around, you know, this is so dramatic, and this will have, you know – uh, ramifications of reputation and things of that sort, and I got that. I understood. I, I understood. And I, I understood what it meant to this region, right? You know, what, sure. Literally, the economy. How many passengers workforce, a day? About a million a day. Wow. So we're doing a million passengers, and the federal government depends upon us. Yeah. You know, when there's snow, they ask us, "Are we open?" Because if we're not open, they're shutting down. Okay. So that would I and I got all that, but I still kept getting back to the point was, all right, walk me back from this ledge, mm-hmm. show me where I don't have this situation before. And we, by that time, we knew enough about the situation that caused the fire. And I said, well, how many other locations are there like this? And I couldn't get an answer. Mm. And I kept pushing that and pushing that and pushing that. Um, and so we knew more and more details what caused it, but I didn't know where else could this pop up. So then I said, okay, continue to, to get the operations right, but you need to create a backup plan that if we shut this thing down, uh, what are we going to do to find out where we have other situations like this? So we had a whole nother crew then was working on that. So the engineers and the engineers out of that. So anyway, so the next, uh, so, you know, 24 hours, I've got a little bit more than 24 hours later, we got back together. We had a whole game plan of how we're going to inspect the entire, every jumper cable in the system. Okay. And we literally were, we were going to log it. We brought in consultants or contractors and our own people. And two o'clock the next day, we announced that we would be shutting down for a day until we did this. Uh, we did it, and we found uh, like three other situations that that you know, literally would have we would have shut down the system if we known they were there, mm. <laughs> and we just didn't know they were there. So we're ri- <coughs> excuse me, we're riding service with deteriorated power cables that at any second could have. Done yeah. And how old is the system? The system's forty years old, forty-two okay. years old now. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, that and that clearly set. Um, you know, just externally, uh, as you can imagine, presented lots and lots of challenges. But um, I think that what I heard uh, since then and at that time, actually, from the customers and from our, our employees, okay, we're serious about safety now. We're really serious now. <clears throat> that doesn't mean there's a tremendous pressure to keep keep the thing open. I mean, you know, we all, oh, yeah. deal, we all deal with it. You still ran buses side. that day, right? Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, we did. But I mean, you know, the, the reality, we do about 600,000, we ran about 400,000 buses. Okay. So our buses at peak period, they're pretty much maxed out. Yeah, so there already wasn't filled, yeah. a whole lot we could do okay. to, to do there. What happened was the federal government gave everyone liberal leave, okay. treated it almost as a snow yeah. event. 
and literally, I mean, the town was maybe thirty percent full. Yeah, you know, you walked around; it was a little, little like a, it was like a Saturday morning, Sunday morning right. type feel. Um, so, so that was almost like a kickoff of what became a longer campaign, so to speak, right? So, right. for the next couple minutes, tell us about what you've been doing. Mm-hmm. You've had a couple phases of this campaign, and tell us where you're sure. at now on this overall. So we left there, and then, and so we said, okay, well, this is the tip of the iceberg. We right. need to, we need. I, so I went to our, our, particularly our track and power people and our operations people. I said, look, you all need to tell me what would it take to get this system just to the point where we feel it's safe. <laughs> <laughs> Not fix everything. Right, Just yeah. get me to the point where we say, okay, now we can start to really focus on getting this system right. So we came up with this thing, this thing called Safe Track, which is we had to squeeze three years worth of work, a planned work in the future, into one year. And literally, we had we had uh, about twenty percent of our ties were deteriorated. Our particular wooden our wooden ties were just deteriorated. So we were running trains, you know, and trying to keep up, but we were behind by over three years. So uh, we brought that down to two percent. That now we can manage and work. So we did three years worth of work in one year, um, about one hundred sixty-five million dollars worth of work around the clock. We had to shut down sixteen different parts of the line, either total closures or single tracking. You know, bus bridges. You know, you name it. We had yep. literally we had a we had to beg our customers not to use us <laughs> because it was just we could not meet we could not meet it. So that was extremely difficult for the community, uh, for the users, and for the for the political side. But had to be done. So from that, we went to <clears throat> we basically then restricted hours, and we created a a preventive maintenance inspection program, which we had never had for years. Wow. So now we go out and we do measuring, for instance, of cables, and we now we can. We can send power through there and see where it's leaking instead okay. of waiting for it to leak and causing a fire. And then say, okay, now let's go fix it. Yeah. We're trying to get ahead of it in non-revenue time. So we got some more hours to get out there and work. And then we created this, this PMI program. So we got a two-year window to do that from the board. That gives us two years to restrict the hours so we can catch up. So okay. that's going on. And then the other thing we did is, all right, well, that's fine for, you know, it's almost inside baseball. That's what we do. But then from the customers, how do we start to bring them back? So we did a lot of focus groups and things of that sort. And we created this program called what we call the Back to Good program, which was really interesting. The term, and we get, we take some heat on the term, Back yes. to Good. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, yeah. but, um, Make him a mod great again. Yeah, no. that's right, right, right. <laughs> well, it was interesting. That term is literally from our customers. Okay. They gave us that. They want you to brand. get back to being good. They basically said, "Look, do not tell us. We know this. We, you know, we're not stupid. <laughs> right. We've been around here for decades. We use it every day. We've seen this deterioration. Did not happen overnight. Just start to bring us back. Get us to good. Yes, we great. We want to be where we yeah. were in 1976. Right. But you're not going to get us there. And don't tell us you're going to do that because you're not very realistic. They're very real because yeah, yeah. they deal with everything. Right. So that's what created, it. and that's focusing on, on particularly on the customer experience. So what we did there is we focus on getting our, our uh, new series of rail cars out there. This is particularly on the rail side. Get our new series called the 7,000 series. Mm-hmm. We had 1,000 series which were 40 years old. The NTSB said you have to get them out of the system because they're dangerous from an accident you know, uh, 15 years ago. We, literally, we had to belly them in between other car series because they were unsafe to be at the front or the okay. back. Wow. So, I mean, that's how drastic it was. So we, we were getting roughly eight cars a month uh, through our vendor, Kawasaki. Uh, so we put a lot of focus on that, brought in them and brought in their senior leadership and said, look, we've got to get this. The contract call between 12 and 16. So we basically got up to 20 cars per month. Um, and we did, we've done that for about a year now. So 
We have 748 in order. We have almost 500 on property. We were going to get the 1,000s out of the system much a year sooner. We were get out of another another set of cars that had problems. Got them out of the system, which would cause all these other customer problems, offloads, you know, things of that sort. So because of that, we started being much more reliable. So now we move to the point where we're nine uh, percent of our, our our service is uh, on time. And we actually came out a month ago with the, the board allow us to do what we call the rush hour promise, which is basically if it takes you more than 15 minutes to do what should be the, your average trip, then we will uh, not charge you. We will automatically credit your, you have to sign up for our smart card, but we will automatically credit. You don't have to do a thing. The next day we apologize to you and within five business days, it's credited back to your account. That's awesome. So that's all because we've been focused on this back to good part. And there's yes. lots of other things, whether yeah. it's cleaning stations, lighting, and and the other the other major focus is on safety, personal safety. Okay. So we've had our lowest crime rate since 2005. We've driven that down more than a decade. 19, that's great. Yeah, yeah. By 19 percent. Uh, part one, you know, the serious crime. I just crime. was talking to your chief applicant out there. I mean, it's, yeah. you no, guys are rocking, huh? We got a great chief, and yeah. and we put a lot of focus, and and it's. It's everything. We've we've increased our um, fair enforcement initiative again to get more revenue, but also to set the tone a little bit. So we're we're we've uh, like quadrupled the number of citations we're doing there and okay. stops. But you know, I want our police officers to say, "No, this is the way that we." How do many business. police officers do you have in your system? We have just under five hundred. Okay. So do you feel like you've turned the corner service-wise? I think we, I think. All the needles are pointing in the right direction. Okay. All right. Yeah. But we still have a long way to go. We have a lot more to do on the bus side um, and on the on the rail side. So I'm not. I don't want to. Uh, yeah. Know, I'm never going to get there. Right. right We're yeah. always going to push. But yes, the needles are all pointing the way. And good because of that. Now we can start to talk about some of these larger issues. Right. But we're going to cut it there for the first part of a two-part series we're doing with an interview with Paul Wiedefeld. Our total interview ran close to an hour long, so we decided to break this into two episodes. Hope you enjoyed this look at his background, career, and uh, the extensive uh, insight into the projects uh, to try to improve state of good repair. One thing you may have uh, heard Paul refer to in his comments were uh, how how he handled a storm called Winter Storm Jonas. We actually worked on that together. I was head of the MTA in Baltimore at the time. He was in Washington, D.C. Our systems interlined and had connecting service through the Mark Commuter Train Service, uh, Maryland Area region, Regional Commuter Train Service that uh, hauls about 35,000, 40,000 passengers a day down to Union Station. And so we both decided at that storm, which was January, February, a couple of years ago, uh, to basically shut down service completely. Um, and when we both decided to do it, it was the first time ever that WMATA had shut down for a storm, the fourth time in Baltimore. And we were able to, in Baltimore, get service back up within 96 hours, full service. And it, it was the largest, it ended up being the largest dumping of snow in Maryland and one storm in history. Uh, and um, so we talk about that and how that kind of set the stage for what he does, what he did next. Uh, Paul was a great help to me when I first came to Baltimore. He was head of BWI Airport when I was at MTA. Uh, and he kind of took me around, showed me the airport, explained to me how the whole MDOT system worked, the Maryland Department of Transportation with its kind of unique structure. No other state in America handles it quite that way with six different modes uh, under one Department of Transportation funded through a trust fund, uh, which is gas tax and some corporate income tax. And kind of walked me through the structure and the political structure and nature of things. And then he went on uh, out of BWI and ended up at WMATA, where we continued to work together kind of hand in glove with regular conversations. Good guy. He's actually a great guy. I think um, 
I can't think of anyone better who could handle this major system in Washington, D.C. and the issues they've been having. And you'll hear about how he handles the financing, the governance, and some new innovations coming on the next episode, which will be part two of our extensive interview with Paul Wiedefeld, which I conducted at his office at the Jackson Graham Building in downtown Washington, D.C. I'm Paul Comfort. Thanks for being with us today. Make sure that you um, stay tuned for the next episode, which will air in about 15 days. Thanks. You've been listening to Transit Unplugged, powered by Trapeze Group. To stay up to date, subscribe on iTunes or Google Play, or join the conversation at transitunplugged.com. Thanks for listening.